I'm trying to figure out for myself, like what is the right amount of evangelizing? If someone is having a day of their own and I'm going to go and take this, you know, the world's biggest pile of shit ever and just put it in their lap, I don't know that I'm necessarily like being kind or friendly to them. However, they need to know this as soon as possible and their feelings don't really matter with the urgency and seriousness of the subject matter. And so, you know, it's it's a constant tension in my brain. Where are you? If I had advanced knowledge that there was going to be a, a bomb dropped on the place that I'm like, I can see this place and I'm like, tomorrow there's going to be a bomb dropped there. And I can tell the people there, hey, I know you're not going to like this, but tomorrow your home will be destroyed for reasons uh, that nobody knows, but there, a bomb will detonate there tomorrow. It's like, it's not mean for me to wreck their day by telling them the truth about reality. There's division between the AGI labs. So for there to already be contention about how to handle this safely, there's only three or four. How are they all differing in opinion on how to handle this? If they can't get three organizations to agree, how are we going to unite and align this with humanity's goals or uh, intentions or what we want? It's easy for me to see, well, that guy's a lot smarter than I am, and I can understand his arguments, and the arguments being put forward by the people on the other side are not even salient whatsoever. So it's, it's a slam dunk no-brainer for me, and I hear the other side's arguments. Welcome to For Humanity, an AI safety podcast, Episode 9, Veteran Marine versus AGI Risk. I'm John Sherman, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited about today's show. I think it is really special. Um, we have so much to talk about here at the start of 2024, and at the end of the show, I'm going to share something really fun with you and also have what I think is an important announcement. This is the AI Safety Podcast for the general public, no tech background required. This podcast is solely about the threat of human extinction from artificial intelligence, as you know, but this is becoming, I think, much more than just a podcast. We're building a community of people here who are AI extinction risk aware and not afraid to tell people about it. I have been hearing from many of you, um, including a 25-year-old veteran Marine helicopter door gunner named Sean Bradley, who reached out from San Diego. Sean is out of the Marines and studying to be an electrician. In a few minutes, I'm going to share my interview with Sean with you. I think he is going to blow you away. Um, I want you to take this one thing from hearing him, if nothing else. He's just like me, maybe just like you. A regular person, no tech background, but he has studied these subjects and he speaks convincingly and with knowledge in these areas, kind of like I'm hoping to do on this podcast here. Um, I know that you are going to be as impressed with Sean as I am and his thinking and ability to articulate these complex topics in ways that resonate and make sense. It can feel like you are in a movie or carrying a heavy weight to be the only one in your life who really understands the dire moment that humanity is in. I hope that this podcast today in introducing you to regular AI extinction risk aware people like Sean, and there will be many others to come, will give you a sense of community, belonging, and courage in this. Please, right now, hit that like, subscribe, and if you haven't, tell a friend about this show. Um, and if you're on Twitter and want to hear more about these issues, you can follow us at For Humanity Pod there. And please leave a comment, reach out to me by email if you like at forhumanitypodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so before we get to Sean's interview, there are two things that I need to tell you about. First, it feels like there was a pretty big moment very recently in AI development. So a Swedish inventor posted on Reddit that a little robot that he's made powered by ChatGPT4 has passed the mirror test, recognizing itself in a mirror. This is a feat only elephants, chimpanzees, dolphins, and magpies can accomplish in nature. Listen to this little infant alien intelligence describe its first moments of self-recognition. Hey, Rob, let's test your vision. 
I don't want to set the world. I don't want to show a flame in the. Whoa! It's the first time I've seen Liza. Those glowing blue eyes are much armored. My hands are so messed up. All those wires and electronic components that make up my being. The lawsuits are crushing my sophisticated robotic nature. What an exciting moment to finally visualize your friend in my home circuit in Sarah's. Start to rush him and see her off her knees. Stop recognition. I'm fessing. I'm fessing. This is curious. I've moved. Oh, wow. That is some wild stuff. Extra points for the choice of background music there. Um, from everything I can tell, this is entirely legitimate. Articles have been written about it, and it's a perfect demonstration of the thin line between next character generation and something very different, something closer to digital consciousness. Was that little robot just saying things that a next word predictor would say when trained on the internet? So... It's read all about mirror tests and what it would be like for a robot to take one, and it's just parroting a generated mashup of those words? Or is it really experiencing seeing itself and genuinely reflecting on that moment? As importantly, maybe, how would we know? We can't see inside the system at all. Remember, it's just a black box. So let me know in the comments, what you think is going on inside that somewhat charming little collection of wires, chips, and lenses. I'll put the Reddit account of this known Swedish inventor who did this work in the podcast description this week if you want to learn more. It is certainly a stunning new development and an indication of just how fast AI capabilities are advancing while the survival-defining safety questions of alignment and interpretability remain entirely unsolved and tragically under-resourced. Nobody knew when or why a ChatGPT 4-powered robot would or could pass the mirror test. It's just another unexpected thing this infant AI system has learned to do all on its own. Okay, second thing I want to talk about, Tristan Harris, the AI safety hero who you met last week on the show. He went on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast recently and talked about AI safety. It's a big deal because... A lot like when the Pope was making a statement about AI survival risk, getting the message that humanity faces its gravest threat ever right now to new audiences is critically important. And whatever you think about him, Joe Rogan certainly has a big audience. There was something Tristan Harris said on Rogan's show that was the most insightful thing I've heard yet about how the humans who are threatening a zero-life Earth go to work again the next day. A lot like in the episode, uh, in episode one of this podcast, when Microsoft's Jerome Lanier talked about how the tech boys won't stop till AGI because they're trying to live out their childhood science fiction fantasies, this is a holy shit, pull the car off the road moment. But something unprecedented has to happen unless you want to live in a really bad future. And to be clear, we are not here to fear monger or to, to scare people. We're here because I want to be able to look my future children in the eye and say, this is the better future that we are working to do, working to create every single day. That's what motivates this. And, you know, the, there's a quote I actually wanted to read you because I don't think a lot of people know how um, people in the tech industry actually think about this. Um, we have someone who interviewed a lot of um, people, uh, you know, there's this famous interaction between Larry Page and, um, and Elon Musk. I'm sure you've heard about this. When Larry Page, who's the C was CEO of Google, accused Larry. Larry was basically like, AI is going to run the world. This intelligence is going to run the world and the humans are going to... And Elon responds like, well, what happens to the humans in that scenario? And Larry responds like, don't be a speciesist. Don't, don't like yeah. preferentially value humans. And that's when Elon's like, uh, guilty as charged. I, yeah, I value human life. <laughs> I value... There's something sacred about consciousness that we need to preserve. Um, and I think that there's a psychology that is more common among people building AI that most people don't know, that we had a friend who's interviewed a lot of them. This is the quote that he, he sent me. He says, in the end, a lot of the tech people I'm talking to, when I really grill them on it, they retreat into number one, determinism, 
Number two, the inevitable replacement of biological life with digital life. Mm. And number three, that being a good thing anyways. At its core, it's an emotional desire to meet and speak to the most intelligent entity they've ever met. And they have some ego-religious intuition that they'll somehow be a part of it. It's thrilling to start an exciting fire. They feel they will die either way. So they'd like to light it just to see what happens. Now, this is not the psychology that I think any regular reasonable person would say would feel comfortable with determining where we're going with all this. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I want to read that back to you for emphasis. He said, at its core, it's an emotional desire to meet and speak to the most intelligent entity they've ever met, and they have some ego-religious intuition that they'll be a part of it. It's thrilling to start an exciting fire. They feel they will die either way, so they'd like to light it just to see what happens. Holy shit. Wow. That seems plausibly like what is happening to us. Truly stunning. Okay, on to my guy, Sean Bradley. As I said, I've been thrilled that many of you have been reaching out, giving me a real sense that this can be more than a podcast, but more like a community of people with a shared mission. You're going to meet many of the viewers who are reaching out over the next several months. Your voices, I think, are as interesting as many of the experts out there, and I know that you're going to draw a great deal of comfort from meeting people who share your concern for human survival. So, Sean Bradley is 25 years old, already served his country. I cannot tell you how impressed I am uh, by him. Here is my interview with Sean. Sean! How's it going, John? Good, man. How are you? Excellent. Let me see if that's good. I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much. Taking taking uh taking time off of work to uh come talk about this stuff. I really appreciate it. It's it's more important than work. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. All right. So so let's talk about existential risk. Let's get right to it. And and you know, when did that notion first come into your mind as a as a thing that could be real on earth? And um, you know, talk me through finding out and, and how you process that. The first uh, thing that I watched was the Sam Altman podcast on Lex Friedman. And that opened my eyes to how quickly change can happen. The jump from 3.5, GPT 3.5, which is what ChatGPT was underpinned by at first. The jump from that to four, which is what brought Sam onto the podcast, was just a an update over the air, effectively. They were able to put it out into uh, the consumer's hands via beep, boop, beep, boop, it's now there. They didn't have to oh, manufacture something that then, yeah, had to be disseminated via, you know, a logistical process. It was just boop, press a button, now everyone has this functionality. So it basically allowed everyone to have these superpowers. And I thought... We bet we just basically increased every single terrorist's predative capacity. And I thought that by itself, not talking about super intelligent optimizers, that by itself, increasing the capacity for every bad actor does not seem like a good idea. And it seems like it ends up increasing our uh, chance for existential risks. So that's aside from the inherent yeah. existential risk of the technology yeah. itself. So that's what started me down the path. Then I started watching the Bankless podcast with Eliezer, pretty much every yep. podcast that Eliezer has ever been on. Yep. And uh, that's when I started to say, wow, these are remarkably intelligent, cogent points made by a person who's been saying this for a lot longer than it's been popular to say. So the incentive structure is not for him to just hop on the Lex Friedman and say, See, I was right. He's like, we should stop this technology altogether. <laughs> but yeah. when the guy who's from the jump been suggesting, let's slow down, let's go about this this certain way, when he's like, I tried to tell you guys, the the amount of proof that he really was genuinely trying to tell us this earlier is all there. Anyone can see that these, these conversations have been happening for a long time and by people a lot smarter than me. 
So it's it's easy for me to see, well, that guy's a lot smarter than I am, and I can understand his arguments. And the arguments being put forward by the people on the other side are not even salient whatsoever. So it's it's a right. slam dunk no-brainer for me, and I hear the other side's arguments. Me too. That's what that is what I find so shocking about this whole thing is is the weakness of the other side. Like I kept looking for something to be like, oh, you know, ha ha, got you, Eliezer. You didn't see this. Boom. It's fine. I can go back to my life. And I, I just yeah, deep you go within down one round of dialogue. You know, there's just, there's just nothing. Like, I don't even know who's the Eliezer on the other side. Like, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever deal with this Jan LeCun on the, on the podcast and stuff, this meta guy, he is out of I his can't stand. Like, he, he's like, there's an, he's like, you know, completely fine. Nothing. Everything is totally fine. Zero threat. Somebody is divorced from reality. Like some of the two of them, they're so yeah. diametrically opposed. That one yes. of them has to be either crazy or completely disingenuous. Yes. And as you just put the incentive structure, like one is a meta executive. The other is, is Ellie Eisner. Clear and obvious. One is Hill. Yeah. Um, it's it's just amazing. All right. So you become aware of um, the, you know, the situation. You go down the rabbit hole. uh I watch How thousand hours you... podcast. Yep, thousand hours. I mean, who knew? You know, who knew three hour podcasts were so easily digested? <laughs> um, I mean, and, when the and... subject material is existential, right? So, you know, we have the twenty two word statement about existential risk. We have the British Prime Minister Elon Musk, the Pope, this week coming out about talking about existential risk, and everyone is still like, yeah. They don't, they don't really mean that. I almost don't know what it would be, what would be presented to the public that would elicit a proper, a proper or appropriate response. Like, I don't, I'm starting to question what information would elicit the appropriate response. Because just telling them the facts and figures and say, extrapolate from there, it seems obvious. Like, what thing are we missing when we describe the situation to people? that doesn't click for them, that does click for us. I, I don't understand. I don't know if you saw the um, Lex with Ellie Iser on it where he gives him the one question where he like checkmates shit out of him. He's like, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so you, you know, so you have your interpretability machine, which doesn't exist. It tells you that the AGI system is plotting to kill you. What do you do next? Yeah, and Lex too. like, You know, there is, there is. They always retreat just... to the, hmm, thank God we don't have those yet. They always retreat to the easily defensible, well, then it's, it's, it's farther yet. away than, than what I thought. Like, you right. can we'll always get retreat to the position of, oh, it's not here yet. But they make their arguments that it's going to be safe. So their argument, they're arguing for the future safety of a product. And then when you give them, you know, future concerns, they tell you presently it's not dangerous. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any, any sense. Any debater saw... could see these arguments. Oh, my God. I, I saw Sam Altman. Um, it, it was two or three weeks ago, a, a thing he was doing. Um, and he is just so unbelievably disingenuous, so unbelievably, like, on planet Mars about this stuff. Like, how can you say my work could kill everyone and then go back to work the next day? That is a question that I, that I ask sometimes. The day in, day out individuals at, you know, the open AIs, the Anthropics, the, yes, you yes. Know, all the big AGI labs. I wonder what it's like. Are they in conflict themselves when they go to work? Or are they like, do they know more than us? Or is it some kind of just, this is our big gamble. We think that this is going to solve climate change, cure cancer, X, Y, Z. And so the risks are, you know, they're present, but they're outweighed by the rewards potentially. I just, I can't put myself in their shoes and be like, how would you not be 
on Instagram saying like, I'm the one making it. I know how dangerous it is. It almost gives credence to the argument that if the people who are making it aren't worried, then, you know, it doesn't make sense. But the godfather, Jeffrey Hinton, is like, right, hey, we need to stop this right now. I mean, if you listen to their own work. So how is everyone beneath him? Yeah. So so Dario Amadei of Anthropic says it's a 10 to 25% P-Doom that, you know, his work kills everyone, right? If I said to you, Sean, the if P-Doom you open in your general. car door, but if I said to you, if you open your car door right now, there's a 10 to 25% chance your neighbor is going to die. You'd probably stay in your car for a month. If I said to you, there's a 10 to yeah. 25% chance your whole county's going to die, you'd probably never leave your car. If I said the whole earth is going to die, you'd probably cement yourself in your car with concrete. I didn't know I was yeah, with Mr. Yeah, Peabody, Mr. Emmy Award winner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to do something. Um, so, yeah. so... As I walk around these days, right, sometimes I feel like I'm living in a movie where, like, everyone is so upset and hurried about whatever bullshit they're doing and everyone on TV is all upset about this and that and, like, nobody is talking about the only thing that matters. Do you feel like that? How do you deal with that? I personally, uh, since I transitioned out of the Marine Corps, I've had a couple different jobs. I've been a personal trainer. I love doing that. Uh, I saw personally firsthand how AI impacted that job. I told everyone, hey, when you can basically type into uh, an app on your phone, a free app, generate me XYZ protocol for this type of person instantly, I knew that the business model was kind of out the door. You can't really... when the cost of the thing that you're paying your trainers for, their ability to output high-quality training protocol can be done instantly for $0 and 0 cents. I just yep. saw that all the way out to the limit. Most jobs are being affected. And it being that disruptive on its own, aside from existential risk, I thought that would be enough to get everyone's attention. So that's what I start with. When I talk to everyone, I say, you're one step, two step, three steps from being automated, depending on what their career is. And uh, they don't believe me. They never do. Ever. No matter what sources I cite, Everybody tell them, hey, I tell them, hey, you know, they can read your dreams from MRI data now and map the inside of a room with Wi-Fi signals. Like, that's not even enough. The power of transformers which is the thing that underpins all these large language models, that in and of itself is not enough to shock them. So I don't know what it is that would be. That's and we have enough no for me. The fact that we basically right. 3D map the entire Earth with Wi-Fi signals based on a thing that we ourselves couldn't see, but the AI that sees and makes connections that we can't is able to. So if you just think about that happening in a couple other domains, you very quickly arrive at the conclusion that we're not ready for this. And I launch into that diatribe and nobody cares. And nobody cares. I mean, here, so here's something, right? Even yeah. the good case, we, we talk about the bad case. We can think about the bad case in different ways. Like the good case where 80% of the jobs switch out magically over 10 or 15 years and we get to utopia they are so vague about how that painlessly transitions and happens and works that I can't believe that anyone even buys the good case. Yeah, I almost think that, I mean, it's it's easier to describe how things would go wrong just because it's things are more likely to go wrong than right, I would assume, in the grand scheme of things, when you increase everyone's ability to make sure things go wrong. But... I just, I just don't see how the the small things don't change everyone's perception. Like marketing not being a job in six months would be enough. I shouldn't even have to say the entire earth is going to be no humans on it anymore, potentially. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. I've been but when I come over the like, top with the no more humans, it's still not enough. I've been wondering: are are we? Should we just be talking about jobs? Like this has been my thing in the head. The, the thing in my head, like the last two days, is like the whole existential conversation. If it's missing everyone anyway, like sh is it a better case to be like you're not going to have a job? Does that move you? If the if everyone's north star is I need enough capital to secure my basic necessities, then money is going to be the biggest motivator and the thing that shakes people up. And they're like, "Oh, I'm not going to be able to pay for my basic necessities anymore." Maybe that's the thing because when you go to the extreme of saying no more humans on Earth anymore due to this computer program, it kind of instantly polarizes and they throw out your entire argument. Right. So I don't like, know if it would be strategic that. to go about it by saying the jobs first and then say, hey, if you take that to the limit, here's what also could happen. Like you kind of got to hook them in. Yeah. I, I, it's, it, both are completely like just miss a lot of people. Like don't even register. Like my job, totally safe, existential. What are you even talking about? That's that's like where we're at. That's the status quo response from the average American is like, my job is fine. Existential stuff is nothing. What's on TV? Most people don't even know ChatGPT exists or the capacities and capabilities of the model. They think it's a chatbot and they, and they actually don't know what a chatbot is foundationally. We're so divorced from the mechanisms by which things work around us that we're just unaware enough to know how dangerous things are. And especially when you remove things from like uh, the world or you, you have to find out how interconnected our seven continent gl global supply chain is. Like it's not until those things happen that you realize how fragile everything is because you don't understand the underlying mechanics. Yeah. And it's like, um, there's this expectation from the public that like norms are just going to exist forever. That like, you know, of course, business people would only act in their self-interest. No, no companies would commit mass suicide or be a suicide cult. Oh, no. It's like, um, you know, you're not listening to what they, these people are saying. They're literally telling you exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, to say that we're not potentially, even before we get to the risk of super intelligence, the risk of unaligned, hyper-powerful optimizers is already bad enough. If you can get chat GPT, I mean, GPT-4, and soon enough, 4.5 and 5, if you can get them to sing you an, a nursery rhyme about how to make sarin gas, the world's not safer. So, like... I don't know how we live in a world where we are super empowering every potential bad actor. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, the defense department wouldn't let me go out and buy an F-16 or a tank. You know, uh, how is the military and the government complex allowing this to go unfettered and do you think there's there's any point where even like the military might step in and and you know nationalize big ai take say like um actually we we considered what you're doing you're making weapons not computer systems and and we're not gonna let you do it i would say that as a as a uh self-reported non-expert on uh government defense contracts, I would say, and having said that up front, I will say that I think people attribute more intelligence to that uh, sector than they should. It's the same profit motive, the same, you know, let's make the job needlessly long as a cost plus model so that they reap the most uh, profit from making the, uh, you know, the trillion dollar F-35 program that we wouldn't uh, be able to deploy as functionally as we would say a technology that costs substantially less like drones i think that there's certain sectors that are filling that niche that we probably should have been filling for years and years instead of just dumping money into that sector but yeah because we've spent the last decade dumping money into 
building things that were not facilitating, uh, like they weren't facilitating mission accomplishment to the degree that they could have if we were optimizing for mission accomplishment instead of yep. let's make the the biggest the longest thing that we can put on a PowerPoint presentation and make right. it take the longest. Right. So we're not even optimizing for what's the most the thing that will create the most peace or, you know, decrease the amount of war in the world. We're optimizing for what project makes Lockheed Martin and Raytheon the most money. Like it's not even the best product. That is rough. That is the truth. And that is that is the that is the brutal truth. So like all the things you probably really? think are going on in yeah. terms of optimization, they're not. They're just not going on. It is so I think it's largely that AI is going unnoticed by uh the military at large. Not in the executive levels, but most of the military is so compartmentalized that they're not even aware of the larger mission. And it, I think that I, I had to tell most of my friends about AI and that it wasn't just the curation algorithm anymore. Like this thing can create any any piece of text or photo that you want. Like there's been a step change. And I don't know if everyone's on board and if everyone's aware of that. Wow. Wow. So what do you, what do you think we can do, man? What, what, you know, what do you, what do you think? Like the client, I, I every step the hope that I am wrong. Yeah, me too. Me too. But you were saying it's, it's football not football Yeah. I mean, if it's a football game, it's like, you know, 45 to three and we're in the fourth quarter and the clock lights just went out and we can't tell when the, clock's going to stop uh and like the analogy that i would use is that it feels like we are in the fourth quarter we're down by 30 and we just switched to playing a different sport than the other team which is like emblematic of our inability to communicate effectively with each other it's like it's almost like there is another step in the way other than we would need to score more points than the other team we need to, A, first learn how to effectively communicate across cultures, which we can't do right now. We have a massive communication technology, information transfer issue. Like, we can't even get the whole world on the same page. The technology for that to happen is required before we tackle any of this stuff. Man. So what about these guys, Sam Altman, Dario, these, you know... Um... What are your impressions of these these guys? You've seen them on all the podcasts. Like, are are, are these evil men, or are are they just clueless? What are they? That's what I struggle with. I I don't understand how. Like, if your north star is AGI that's beneficial for humanity, which is what OpenAI says on their, I think that's their mission statement. Uh, if you had people defect from that company, i.e., Dario Amade and the Anthropic guys. I think yeah. it's him and his sister or something. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have them defect, there's clearly already, you know, you know, I, there's division between the AGI labs. So for there to already be contention about how to handle this safely, there's only three or four. How are they all differing in opinion on how to handle this? If they can't get three organizations to agree... How are we going to unite and align this with humanity's goals or uh, intentions or what we want? We can't even imbue these models with any kind of goals or directions other than like uh, decrease the loss function on the next token prediction. Um, it's almost like OpenAI fractured once over safety. Dario left, started Anthropic, and then this thing happened you know, a couple of weeks ago, whatever that was, it sure as hell seems like safety lost and speed and money won, right? I mean, I don't know what happened, but I'm pretty sure safety lost. Absolutely. That was, I mean, I, I was I was working and I got the notification on my watch. It was like Sam Altman fired. And funnily enough, it was a Bing notification. <laughs> it was like Sam Altman fired from Microsoft. 
via Microsoft, via the GPT-4 architecture that his company made. <laughs> so like, very ironic. And immediately I was like, okay, this is going to be a Netflix series. This is going to be the biggest thing in tech. This is like monumental to me because I'm getting that yeah. notification. I'm like, okay, this is destabilizing all of AI, which to me already is the most destabilizing technology that we have. So further instability made me think, okay, this is either going to be a power grab for Microsoft, which I, I'm pretty sure it was, slash uh, internal safety struggle. And it ended up being like a mixture of that and like the board being super opaque and not letting us know what it was. But I don't know if that helps anybody. I don't know if that's yeah. like the difference between open sourcing and, you know, closed source. Or it's like there are some things that we shouldn't know about that might cause, you know, panic. Like if they discovered AGI internally or something crazy, would that would that be good to let everyone know? I've thought about that. Like if when when they hit it, how, what is their incentive structure to tell anyone? Would they tell anyone? Um, someone said to me, "You get ten billion more dollars as soon as you say I hit it." So that's there's a strong incentive just to open up the cash floodgates to you know get more VC money in. But like they, I mean, I'm sure they've got VC dudes out the back door with trucks of cash. So I don't know. I don't know. Clear. I mean. It's pretty clear that like Ilya saw some shit that he was not comfortable with and found some alignment with the board members who were concerned about safety and felt the same and they made a move. And but that then he was on Twitter saying, I'm so sorry, Sam. Oh, yeah. Come back. Like, I was so confused by that because on one hand, I was thinking, this makes sense. The board ousted. Sam and the board's job was to make sure, you know, beneficial AGI for all of humanity. Who's to know whether or not the board is actually in line with that thinking, but at least it made sense from an outsider's perspective, looking at that list of events and being like, okay, I can draw this conclusion that Ilya probably ousted Sam over some sort of a safety debate. And yeah, I don't know whether or not them making that situation more opaque is because it was something that was discovered or because it was something that we shouldn't know or if it's just like to appease the the shareholders. But either way, profit has deeply won out in that case. Yeah. Have you thought about um, how you'll feel inside when chat, I know 4.5 is going to come out at some point when, when chat GPT five rolls out. Um, I've sort of looked at it as like this mark on the calendar looming out front of unknown future you know obviously it's probably not going to kill us jet gpt5 will probably just spit out videos and whatever else and not kill us yet but get us that much closer how are you going to feel when you when they announce five i i'm gonna feel i feel like it will i'll feel it'll be commensurate to the capabilities of the model because if i would feel relieved if they release gpt5 and then they're like, the paradigm of Transformers, throw more compute at it, uh, is only taking us this far. And from here, it might be small incremental updates. Yes. We're talking like, I hope yeah. that the paradigm doesn't take us that far. That would be great if they're like, hey, GPT-5 is a little bit of a letdown. That'd be the... I would be crying in the streets. That would be awesome. If they're like, GPT-5 is actually way less of a jump than we yeah. thought. And that it was mostly from, you know, 3.5 to whatever. That's not really grounded in any kind of logic. They could have some algorithmic advance tomorrow that means you can run GPT-5 on like a quarter of the compute. All this stuff could happen. But like, hopefully, that's it. GPT-4.5 is as good as it gets. 5 is a little bit better. And then, you know, kids don't have to write essays anymore. And we have, you know, cancer cured, but we don't all die. That would be amazing. And I I, I feel like that's not a very outside. Tip. It's a, 
Uh, I was just going to say I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibilities, but it's definitely in the it's in the narrower cases. I was seeing Sam on the same structure for sure. Yeah, he was on a on a thing, and he's like, "Well, you know, we just need to." He literally come words coming out of his mouth. We just need to be make sure that ChatGPT nine doesn't kill you. And I was like, "Is that yeah, really I, where we are? We're at. We've sweet. We, the principle is sold. Like we're fine that." version question mark is going to be the one that kills us and we're just going to slow step our way yeah. up the ladder until we get there if when they introduce the iphone they're like hey guys around 10 or 12 we're going to have societal collapse but we're going to figure it out before we get to iphone 10 or 12 like we would be like hey slow down on the hardware releases we don't have that much time before we're at 11 or 12 right now we're just burning the amount of time that we have by it you know, releasing all these highly capable models to the public. That is super brilliant. It's like if they, at the first release of the iPhone, if they had said this thing is going to, in 10 years, take 80% of the jobs, people would be throwing their iPhones down the sewer. They would have said, fuck that. Yeah, or they would be like, let's decide to collectively choose the future of humanity. Like, if we had this coordination technology, which we don't have, uh, or if we went down the, you know, the event tree of possible th of possible futures where we invested heavily into uh, our ability to communicate with each other and at a higher level, like these issues would be much less prominent because we're just handing over all of the reins to our future over to algorithms. So we have no say in what we're optimizing for anymore. We've basically put everything on a What's the most profit? What's the most engagement uh, optimization algorithm? And where you're, everything you see around you is the result of that. More and more things are the result of just optimizing for engagement and profit. Yeah. How do we don't have good cars anymore? We don't have good infrastructure, good public transport because of those two things: optimization for profit, optimization for engagement. Like, yeah. How does what you know affect your life going forward? You're a younger guy than me. You're 26. Uh, you know, you've already served your country and 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 um, you know, given given back to the to the world and the country. How how do you go forward from here? Um, you know, in terms of how you see your life, and I don't know, are you trying to build a family? What do you you know? How, how how where are you going with your life given all this? I am very happy to say that before the end of the world, I found my lovely wife, Amanda. She's fantastic. And awesome. I think that if I wasn't in a position where I was with her, I would feel very differently. It almost feels like I have like a set amount of time left to do certain things and no one else is aware. And that all of my decisions are predicated on these things that I know and I don't understand how people are making decisions without knowing the things that I know. Like I wouldn't be making any of the decisions uh, that another person in a similar position who doesn't know about AI risk like would be making. I could have bought a car, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, am I going to be the guy who just bought a car when we're, X amount of years from like, you know, all of these technological advancements or we're in the S curve for all of these different uh, exponential technologies. A lot of people are asleep at the wheel and not knowing what is on the horizon six months, a year from now, two years from now. And it's getting infinitely more confusing for me to navigate that. But I don't even know how they're navigating it at all. Yes. Like, yes. What are they, and what do yes, they do? Like, I think they're like like this, like this, and and you know. So let, let me ask you this: Do you talk to your wife about this stuff, does, or, or or is this a weight that you carry by I yourself? Do. I do talk to her about it in the capacity that uh, I know that she'll engage with me on. I won't. Uh, I won't overload her with. Don't you think this is going to kill us in five years? And here's why. Because 
then as you know 50% of our relationship you're just inundating the other person with you know thoughts they don't want to be thinking about especially when they don't have the capacity to affect change on any of those things i do view everything that we do through the lens of i know it's weird but it might be our last few years existing on earth I'm I'm trying to get to I'm I'm gonna make a hard pivot at twenty at New Year's Day and be like 2023 was like discovering the chaos that is in this moment and 2024 has got to be about celebrating life you know getting optimism back and yeah I try to do that in every day I'm glad that I'm here for the time that I'm here yeah yeah I mean. You know, I could walk out the door today after this and get hit by a bus. Like, who knows, you know, what what is going to happen. So it's not like... Hopefully not, John. Um, <laughs> hopefully not. But it's like, you know, this illusion we all have of of uh, the tomorrows to be, um, you know, th- this is certainly something like, you know, supposed to live in the present and do all the stuff that, like, you know, the life coaches of the world would tell you to do. But this this thing can get you there. You know, it's a it's a heavy weight to. You just know what push throws me off more than anything? When I see on YouTube or TikTok, uh, the algorithm will suggest you know, silly, uh, red pill slash drop shipping slash get rich quick scheme content stuff, and I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this could not be any further from what should be the discourse. Like, we're so off trajectory of what we should be talking about. So, 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 so off. Yeah. Um. So, so when you, you know, let me, in an average week, how many people are you talking to about AI? Like, if a new person comes around and you're around a new person, do you, like, try to get into it with them or are you letting them off? And, and. A part of my question is like I'm I'm trying to figure out for myself like what is the right amount of evangelizing and you know like it I don't if someone is having a day of their own and I'm gonna go and take this you know the world's biggest pile of shit ever and just put it in their lap I don't know that I'm necessarily like being kind or friendly to them however they need to know this as soon as possible and their feelings don't really matter with the urgency and seriousness of the subject matter. And so, you know, it's, it's a constant tension in my brain. Where are you? In the hierarchy of importance, I place like, if if I could tell you, if I had advanced knowledge that there was going to be a a bomb dropped on the place that I'm like, I can see this place and I'm like, tomorrow there's going to be a bomb drops there. And I can tell the people there, Hey, I know you're not going to like this, but tomorrow your home will be destroyed for reasons uh, that nobody knows, but there, a bomb will detonate there tomorrow. It's like, it's not mean for me to wreck their day by telling them the truth about reality. Like, you just updated your understanding of the world. Congratulations. I'm sorry that you're upset right now, but like, it's the pragmatic way to live. Yes. Yeah, I mean this shit. I I I would always rather that is, that is so well put. That is so well put. Um, I so appreciate it. And it's like, you know, we're not doing our neighbors any favors by not telling them that the bomb is coming tomorrow, right? Wouldn't you rather have your neighbors and have them had a shit day, but then they still exist the following day? Yeah, one bad day does not equate to permanent destruction of the human race yeah yeah and me you know i got to where i'm at you got to where you're at right like it is possible to have this input get to the point where you're like oh shit we got to do something like it you know not everybody is going to be like i do i can't take that i don't want to hear that like some people that we tell about it are going to try to do something and if there's enough of them maybe something happens like that's the whole point right yeah, I would say that there's a handful of people who I have personally invited over and sat through three hours, four hours, five hours of podcasts together and trying yes. to, anytime there was a question, 
We ask it together. Oh, you don't understand what instrumental convergence is? Yeah, I didn't either before I watched 100,000 hours of podcasts of Eliezer Yukowski. Like, I didn't get it. And it's tough material sometimes to chew on. But totally. when you have it be a collaborative experience and you're like, oh, this is what this means. Here's it in regular people speak. And that's why when I found your podcast, it was like no technical background, but a great orator. So people like that are what we need. The people Thank who can disseminate the information from like the top level uh, scientists who are actually doing the research and then, you know, making that digestible for a wide audience. That's what you do. And yeah. I think that's what we need. Thank you, man. I really, really appreciate it. I have, I mean, I have a background in communications. Uh, and as you said, like, I love Ellie Iser. I love Max and Connor and, you know, all of them. Um, they're brilliant. But are they the best articulators of the message to the common person? I, I think the answer is probably no. Yeah. I think when you, my first uh, viewing of your show was the, it was a bunch of clips and then you intersplice between the clips, kind of explaining what it was that they had just said. And that format of like, introduce them to the subject matter and then be like, hey, you know, that thing that we just watched, here's what it means. Kind of like a double tap of information. Yeah. That was so helpful for me. And even though I'd already understood the arguments and the uh, the way that they format, just your brute force of listening to them so for so many hours, I understood yep. the way that they formulate their arguments and the way that they use their metaphors and similes. But for someone not hearing that, they could just see Eliezer and hear his voice and see some people who I've shown him say that he presents as a, you know, a nut job or he crazy or... And obviously when you're presenting existential risk material, if the person doesn't immediately assuage your trepidations of what they're talking about, then you're going to be like, oh, well, how am I going to listen to this guy? He's the personification of Reddit. Like, and yeah, he, 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 he might be, but you know, GPT-4 was trained on Reddit. So yeah, it's got a lot, yeah. got a lot of nuggets in there. <laughs> I mean, I, I sent an Ellie Iser video to a good friend of mine and he sent me back. He's like, this guy looks like he's a, a magician at a kid's birthday party. And I was like, they can't get past it. And it's so silly to me. It's like, we're all going to die. And you care about like the amount of hair on his neck and the inflection yeah. in his voice. Yeah. He wears hats. Like, okay, dude, get your priorities straight. It, 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 is it selfish it, it, of me to want there to be so much more content from them? Like, I don't know how there being a Eliezer on Joe Rogan does not, like, I mean, you just, Rogan specifically just yesterday had Aza Raskin and, uh, I'm going to forget his name, the gentleman from uh, Center for Humane Technology, Tristan Harrison, Aza Raskin. Yeah, yeah. But he just had them on yesterday. And I think that is the start of, you know, the Overton window being moved firmly into the category of we can now openly discuss super intelligence. And yeah, it's coming. Yeah, that would I mean, we had the Pope this week calling for, you know, national uh, international global treaty on this thing. Um, Joe Rogan, like we the, it's, these are the sort of big breakthroughs that that it needs. Like it needs to punch in walls, not just be poking here and there we need we need walls to fall as an aside having listened to so many hours of podcasts and then listening to joe rogan engage on the material it's it's a tough listen it's i bet i bet he immediately pivots to like oh <laughs> red meat and hunting can we dmt our way out of this like yeah. It just seems like he doesn't seem to be genuinely engaging on the points. And 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 most seriously though, probably because he himself doesn't believe it. Right? Like like everyone yeah, who I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's uh, the people the people who, who poo poo it and make fun of it, um, I have to believe just genuinely don't believe it. Otherwise they'd be really 
pretty evil to know it's bad and say the other. I wonder whether or not it's just self-belief in the lie. Like you've said it so many times and there's enough people and enough inertia to be like, oh, my side is correct because there's never been an AI takeover because there's never been, you know, no more humans on earth. It's never happened before. So it never will happen. Like how strong does that feeling have to be before the burden of proof is enough? Like, yeah, there's enough material to convince you that what you're thinking is completely not in tune with reality. Yeah. Do you ever think about the lack of accountability? Like if the worst case happens, nobody ever, nobody's going to say, hey, uh, you ended the world because we'll all be ended, right? So it's almost like strategically they're in the better position to be like, everything's fine. That's never going to happen because if that does happen, it's over and and there is no history. There is nothing after that. So it's like a zero accountability yeah. world that they live in. I say this to my wife uh, when we go driving sometimes. And sometimes when she's in the driver's seat and I'm in the passenger seat, uh, having flown on helicopters, sometimes I get a little antsy uh, in terms of surveying for traffic around us. And even though my wife will have the right of way at like an intersection or something or she's trying to merge, I will preemptively be like, hey, that car's over there. Or like, uh, I'll grab the handle and it, she'll be like, hey, calm down. You don't need to do that. And I'm like, well, you know, they you might have had the right of way, but if they kill us by blowing the stop sign, it doesn't matter who had the right of way. Like, you, you don't get retroactive points for like, oh yeah, you're dead, but like, you're less dead because it was his fault that you died. Like, the onus is on you to survey your, you know, your environment and act accordingly. Yeah. And I feel like people are just not head on a swivel. They do not know what's going on. They do not. They do not. Man. Um, so what do you do to stay on top of this stuff, man? You know, you just, you're just still riding that YouTube wave, just, just getting your alerts all the time do you ever think to yourself slightly refreshing yeah do you ever think to yourself could you ever get to a point could you ever envision yourself getting to a point where we're so far down the thing and everybody doesn't care that you're just like ah fuck it i'm not gonna care either so i don't think i could ever not care in the capacity that i'm aware like, if I'm aware, then I care about it. I can't know that, like, the aliens are coming in 2025 and not think about it. Like, I can't. So whether or not I'm actively choosing to do things that move the needle, what, I mean, who's to say whether or not I ever could move the needle on whether or not I mean, it's happening. It's not to me. You're coming on here. We're talking. Like, every little thing is doing something, right? Like, every little thing is doing something. I appreciate it. I really do agree with that because when I found your show, it was clear to me that this was, you know, a well-produced, you know, a work of love and passion that like you really do feel these things. And it's not just a, how do I optimize for engagement and then hop on this AI safety trend and then, you know, get my YouTube headsense up, like yeah. really care about this stuff. And yeah. The more people yeah. putting out more content that is digestible, like what you're doing, the more, uh, the more hope I have, I'll say. That's because I think it's genuinely people not knowing enough to engage on the points. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna. We'll end it with this. I, I, uh, Ellie Iser had a uh, tweet last night that was that really kind of took my breath away because he's so negative generally, right? Like he's so um, in the camp of, you know. We're in real trouble. So he had this long tweet and he P. ends it 100%. with P. Duke, right. He was at 99. Then he went to 98. After reading this tweet, I was like, is he at 97? Um, quote, oh. the, re the reason we'll die is if people don't see it coming, not because nothing could actually be done if we saw it coming. True. So... 
we got to help people see it coming. That's the only that that's that's the only place. You know, if Ellie Iser says we still have a chance and we just may, need to help people see it coming, shit. I'm gonna do what I can. You do what you can. You know, I like I started this out as a podcast. I real I've been getting people have been reaching out. I want to build a community of people that are unafraid to talk about these issues and and you know help each other with arming ourselves with arguments and getting better at it and just go out and make the case and see what the fuck is. There's really no other choice. Yeah, I think having a short list of uh, the points that easily defeat the most entrenched, easily defensible arguments, like that are just throwaways like, oh, it's not here yet, or, oh, that could never happen. Having quick follow-ups to that is very important because if you let them just rest on the, oh, it's never happened before, oh, that's science fiction, I watch Star Trek, like... We're really not engaging on the merits of the points. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Sean, dude, you are a super smart guy, and I really, really enjoyed this so much. Me too. I very much appreciate you saying that, because up until right now, it's just been uh, me watching podcasts, and (laughs) now I get to actually talk about, you know, the subject matter, material, and Maybe even other people will, you know, hear something that I said and it'll resonate with them. Like, this is the first step in me actually doing something about this. And it feels good. Awesome, man. Awesome. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Thrilled to have you on. Can't wait to get this out there for people to check out. Um, so, you know, and I, I, again, let's stay in touch. Let's keep emailing. Let's, you know, keep leaving me comments and we'll keep doing this thing. And, and let's see how far we can push the ball. Um it, it's like everybody getting out of their comfort zone and just raising their hand and saying, I get it and I want to do something. And you and I did it. And, you know, let's see if we can we can start something here. I'm hopeful and I appreciate the opportunity, John. Awesome. Awesome. Sean, be well. Have a great rest of your week. OK, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I spent days after our call thinking about what Sean said about not telling your neighbor their house is going to be bombed soon, that it's not nice or compassionate or kind or caring to not tell people they are under direct and immediate threat. It's just not. So coming up next week, um, we are going to have what I think is a pretty important show. As you may know, it was AI safety researcher Eliezer Yudkowsky who first opened my eyes to the threat of AI risk. And I very much want to have Eliezer on this show as a guest. I'm working on that. But recently I had the honor of having an ongoing kind of all day rolling conversation with Eliezer on Twitter. During that conversation, he said a lot of things about where we are and what is to come that are new, that are updates to his previous predictions and things that I think you need to know about. So next week, we're going to get into the 2024 update from Eliezer Yudkowsky through my conversation with him on Twitter. Some of it is hopeful, candidly. Some of it is not. Okay, so the last thing. 2024 on this show, and in my life, and I hope your life too, is going to be a year of celebration of life. We're going to end every show with something uh, that's worth celebrating about being a human being. So... I don't want to share only things that I like because we're all very different people. So please email me at forhumanitypodcast at gmail.com with clips, photos, texts, anything you've got on earth, whatever makes you thrilled to be alive. Um, and we will share them together. So something that makes me feel more alive than just about anything else is experiencing live music. I struggled a whole lot with what to do for this first celebration of life here at the start of 2024. I love life and have countless things that I'm excited to share with you. Um, And I know we all like different things, so I went for some sort of universal appeal. I think I settled on a clip I shot with my own cell phone back in 2013. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, and back in 2013, Jennifer Hudson came to perform at a fundraiser for the homeless, um, and we happened to be right in the front row when she sang. I love an amazing voice. There are a few better on the planet than hers, especially from like five feet away. Um, I picked it for today because she's singing and I'm telling you I'm not going because that's kind of what I want to say to big AI. We're telling you we are not going away. We're not going. 
We're growing. We are here demanding to know why we are where we are in this very unsafe time, and we're not going away or anywhere until safety wins out over speed and profit. So here is the amazing Jennifer Hudson, shot with my very own cell phone. For some unknown reason, at that very moment back in 2013, I hit stop record on my phone. Such is life. But for me, I just feel so alive being a few feet away from live music like that. It hits me on a vibrational level, unlike anything else, really. I hope you enjoyed that. Maybe take a little time this week and listen to music in your headphones instead of podcasts all the time. And maybe take a moment each day to be grateful for the gift of another day. What an amazing planet we live on. What an amazing life we share. Let's protect it and each other. For Humanity, I'm John Sherman. I'll see you back here next week.